Welcome to the Faith and Good Counsel Show, where we hope to inspire joy-filled lives through conversations at the crossroad of mental health, wellness, and faith. And now your host, Stacy Galino. Hey there, y'all. I'm so glad you're joining me here again today on the Faith and Good Counsel Show. This is the third in a series of three, Who Are You?, episode number 305. And I'm so glad that you've come back uh, to spend a little more time with me and my, my return guest, Josie Duke, as we talk about who we are as human persons from a Genesis perspective, from a Catholic anthropology of the human person perspective, where we've been talking about our creation as man and woman all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But y'all, this is my favorite episode, I have to say, of all three. They've been wonderful, right? Have you been listening? If you haven't, I really encourage you first to go back to the first episode, 305A, and then listen to the second episode, 305B, and then join us right here for 305C, because you do need that background. You do need that that framework from which to understand the episode today, which again, as I said, I think really is my favorite, because we begin here to discuss these issues that really affect us in our everyday life. It's one thing to ponder on the beauty of how much God loves us and how he's redeemed us through Jesus Christ, his son, who, oh, happy fault, who reversed the sin of Adam's pride, Adam and Eve's pride, and who has gives us the opportunity to be with him one day forever and ever eternally in heaven, basking in the love of the blessed Trinity. But for now, we are here in the church militant. We are here on earth and we are suffering. We talked a little bit about suffering in the previous uh, episode. But here we begin to talk about some of the origins of shame and fear and doubt and this war between men and women and the brokenness in our human relationships, whether it's between men and women, between parent and child, between ethnicities, between countries. I mean, we don't have to look very, very far to see that we are so divided and so split and so broken and so categorized and so used and so consumed and so discarded as human persons, where where the value of human life is no longer seen in the fullness of the dignity that each one of us holds, whether from, from conception to natural death. So this is why this episode is my favorite. And y'all, it's only the very beginning. It's only the tip of the iceberg to open up future conversations about who we are as human persons, and what does that mean on the ground in our moment-to-moment, day-to-day life when we live in such a world where our very personhood is so incredibly distorted. So I'm really excited because it paves the way for me to begin to have those conversations that I love to have, that I ponder when I wake up in the morning and I ponder when I, as I go to sleep at night and all throughout the day in my study and my work and my conversations privately with other people um, about faith and science, faith and mental health, faith in our bodies and our souls and what how they're integrated with one another and and just the beauty of that. So I am delighted to have back again with me today our guest, Josie Duke, and she will begin our conversation today talking about what it means to be naked without shame 
and then as we are now, naked with shame. After the show today, please do connect with me at StacyGalino.com. You can leave me a little comment there at the Ask Stacy button on the bottom of the homepage. Just send me a little email privately there, and I'll be glad to email you back uh, and hear anything you have to say, whether it's a comment or a suggestion or you have a, a question that you'd like for me to answer. So let's continue our conversation now with the lovely Josie Duke. When we last spoke, we were talking about, and you left us with the truth that Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, were naked without shame because they were seeing each other in the truth, in the gift of who they are, and in that communion of persons for Mm -hmm. which they were created uh, in union with the Blessed Trinity. Well, now, after the fall, Mm -hmm. they are naked with shame. Now, what does that mean? Well, beforehand, um, you know, they're living in perfect unity. They're giving each other, giving of themselves to the other as a complete and total gift of self. There's no domination. There's no fear. There's, there's none of that. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve cast doubt upon the gift that God had given them. They succumbed to Satan's temptation to eat of the, of the forbidden fruit. And when they did that, it also cast doubt upon this communion of persons, this communion personarum that Adam and Eve shared with each other and with God. So their ability to give and receive each other as gifts has been distorted. It persists to this very moment. It, it's certain, and it will until it will. Jesus comes again. This That's is, right. this is a thing now with us folks. So something is very, very wrong and they know it. So instinctively, they start to sew fig leaves together to cover themselves because now they feel shame. This is a new thing. They, this is new. And these are the parts of their body that call them to communion. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And so now they're covering them in shame. Yes. They're covering to protect themselves and to protect the other. So Adam sees something in Eve that he'd never seen before. Eve saw something in Adam she'd never seen before. So Eve looks at Adam and it frightens her because now she sees lust and the desire to dominate. She's never seen that before and it frightens her. So she understandably, yeah, understandably so. And she covers herself Mm. to protect herself, but also to protect him. You know, if which I, is still loving, which is you still, see, it which shows is still you that loving. we haven't lost everything. No, no, because you know she's only she's not only protecting herself, but she's trying to protect him from falling into more of that state mm-hmm. to keep him from looking at her like that. Mm-hmm. Adam sees something in Eve that he had never seen before, and it frightened him. He saw fear in her eyes. And he, he, she realizes that her relationship with her husband was no longer the same. Maybe Adam saw lust in her eyes as well. And that's why he's covering himself. You know, men... It goes men, both ways. It goes both ways. You know, women can lust just as easily as men. So this is not just a man thing. Um, so they sew fig leaves together to cover themselves up. So the gaze, the gaze of the other that was so full of love and so full of life... That piece of the interior the, gaze, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now it's it's distorted, it's twisted, it's lustful, it's it's frightening. And they don't know what to do with that. It, it almost strikes pity in your heart when you think of it. You know, we're angry because you screwed this up for us. I can't believe you were so stupid as to this. Of course, stupidity and, has nothing to do with it, of course. But And they, of, of 
no one else, I, I'm just thinking of this now, but they experienced the enormity of what was lost. Oh. We only know fallen nature. Right. Do you know? Yes. Uh, fallen condition. They knew. Can you imagine the, the, the weight of that? The, the shame, not just the bodily shame, but what did we do? Yes. What have we done? Can you imagine going through the rest of your life? And these were hundreds of years we're talking about now that they were on this earth. Can you imagine the weight of that on your soul? 200, 300, 400 years. Mm. You talk about a living hell. That's what it would be for me. Yes, definitely. So the communion that Adam and Eve shared is now distorted to the point that it's now a source of suffering. This is what God was trying to prevent or protect them from. Eve is told by God himself that her husband will dominate her, and yet her desire would still be for her husband. Mm. He will have to fight off the tendency to dominate, use, abuse, neglect, and distort. So they each have a different battle. He's got to fight off the tendency to lust after her and dominate. She has to help him with that. She still has help. At the same her. time, afraid of his domination, At, abuse, yes. neglect, distortion, yes. lust, etc. So she's got a battle on two fronts. She's got to fight with him and with herself now. So in short, this pristine Garden of Eden is now a battlefield. Mm. Mm. Wow. I think it was Pat Benatar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Love is a battlefield. I don't know the, the lyric of that song, but I'm kind of thinking about that song well, it, right it, now. It's, you know that that phrase certainly is apropos it's it's and you all can you can imagine you know we've we've studied history in school we've studied the civil war world wars 1 and 2 you can imagine a battlefield yes and what that looks like yes. and the horror of it well that's what this is now mm. it's everything. a battlefield everything everything everything's a battle everything's a war everything now has something pinged with suffering right everything so now you fast forward a few thousand years to a time when I don't know if you ever heard of this man. Jesus was preaching and teaching to the people on a hillside outside of Capernaum in Galilee. He just finished giving the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, verses 27 through 28. And he drops this bombshell. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And ladies, we're not off the hook. This applies to us too, but you have to understand the historical context in which this was taken. This was slightly over 2000 years ago where women were still considered the property of a man. And so the act of adultery was actually the taking of another man's property. If a man slept with another man's wife, aside from the law that you had abrogated, God's law of committing adultery, you basically stole my property. Wow. So speaking of personhood, but you know, another, another day, you know, so personhood has become distorted from the time of Adam and Eve and still distorted now, but until the time of Jesus and Jesus now is setting this straight. It's not about reclaiming your property. It's not about the act. It's about what's in your heart. You looked at her with that lustful look, what John Paul II calls the concupiscent look to desire. Mm. It's not the healthy, holy, sacred desire of a man and wife for each other. That's different. This look he's talking about is the lustful, possessive look. He says to them, that's all you got to do. Just the look. The look. 
And the look is an outward expression of what's in your heart. You've already committed adultery. The act is secondary now. Mm. The act is just a consequence of the act, of the look. Mm. What you started in your heart will come to fruition in your in your behavior. But it didn't start and end with the behavior. It's too late at that point. It started in your heart. Right. So at this point, he is rescuing woman and elevating her to her proper place as a person to be loved and not as an object to be used. Say that again, sister. Mm, I'm telling you, sometimes you just got to sit there and go, wait, what? Yeah. He elevates woman and puts her in her proper place, not as an object to be used, but as a person to be loved. Beautiful. You are not to be used, not even by yourself. Right, right. Throwing yourself out there or doing whatever you think society is commanding that you do as a woman to be a real woman. No, 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 no. You be the woman Jesus has called you to be. And I am telling you, you'll be freer than you can ever imagine. Amen, sister. I'm telling you. I, it's just, my, my head is racing. My heart is yes, pounding when I think too. of this. It's me just, too. he because loves. Because that's what we're dying for. We're dying to be seen, to be known, to be loved, to know that we're beautiful. And that's where it all began. Those are the echoes from the beginning. And this is mm-hmm. Christ setting it straight. He's yes. taking us back to the beginning. He's showing us. You remember Eve, the gift, the Ezra Konegdo that she was the pure gift that I gave to you, Adam, that's who she is. So he's taking Palestinian Judaism in, in the Roman empire. Okay. In this oppressive time, women are oppressed. The men are oppressed too, but women even more so because they are property of their husbands, their property of their brothers, their fathers, all of that. And he's taking woman and saying, no, 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 you don't belong here. You belong up here where I put you in the beginning. That's where you go. Amen. That's where you go. So this is a, this is a new way of thinking. Eventually, of course, Jesus will elevate all of creation through his passion and death on the cross. And so what John Paul II calls this ethos of redemption in his theology of the body, we're not trying to go back to Eden. We got to, we have to go forward. We can't get Eden back. Eden is lost. Okay. That was a permanent decision. That was a permanent decision decision, we've lost it, but we can still remember what we had, that holiness, that unity, that beauty that God created. We can still, that's what we need to aim for now and looking forward. It's kind of like going back in your past and reliving your past and never getting out of your past and, oh, I can't believe I did that and living in shame and regret. You, God doesn't want you to do that. Yeah. Learn from your mistakes. Move on. Exactly. Perfectly okay. said. Beautifully Just, said. Th- and that's what he's trying to do. Get us to move on. So we're not going back to Eden. We're looking forward to the end of time when we would be resurrected and with God in heaven forever. That's where we're going. Amen. So Jesus's passion and death redeemed all of creation, not just humankind, creation, the trees, the plants, everything, animals, everything. Because there was redeemed. a universal wound. A universal yes. wound caused with Adam and Eve's disobedience. It wasn't just people. No. All of creation. And now, and, and he said that to Adam, you know, now you'll have to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Now you have to fight the elements. Now you have to fight insects that are going to devour your crops. Whereas before, mm. they might have been there, but were harmless. Now, they're hungry. Yeah. And they're going after your wheat yeah. and your corn and everything else. Farmers right. know this, right? Yes, definitely. So this was Jesus' mission from the beginning to redeem all of creation, but especially mankind. 
who is the pinnacle of creation. So by this new way of thinking, this redemption of the body, this is going to require something that we all need. It's not easy, but God never said it would be easy. So here it is. Self-mastery, mastery over yourself, purity of heart, and the virtues. Oh, you know those yes. things that we used to have. <laughs> <laughs> Temperance and prudence and uh, things oh, chastity. That seem, and, uh, yes, yep. things that are in short supply. If you watch television, most television, not all, most television, movies, video games, much of the music that's out there, there ain't none of this happening. Mm-hmm. All right, there is no self-mastery, there is no virtue, there is purity of heart, what is that? No. Mm. But this is what Jesus is calling us to, all of these things. And yes, it's hard. It's hard. You know, some of us struggle with food, some of us struggle with alcohol or other forms of addiction. Some of us just struggle to be a good person. Some of us just struggle because of the jobs that we're in, and we have to deal with very difficult people. It's a struggle, but you have to be a master of yourself. So that's what it is. So in the Old Testament, purity was external. The pots that you use, you got to wash these pots. You can only cook in these pots. You have to wash your clothes a certain way, or you know you have to dress a certain way. Exter- purity was external. Mm-hmm. I could now, God forbid, you were lame, diseased. You were cursed by God. You were not pure. Something was wrong with you, right? Mm-hmm. This was the thinking of the people at that time animals who were considered clean or unclean um you had circumcision that the the jewish people were uh acts circumcision and uh sabbath uh observance i'm getting twisted on my words here um these were external acts that they believed would help keep them in the covenant Right. They forgot it was about purity of heart, not about the physical act. So this is what Jesus is trying to set straight. So unlike these things, the source of purity is not from the outside. It's from within. It's from your own interiority, from your heart. This is what Jesus was trying to say, that concupiscent look to desire. That's coming from you. That's your heart. You're not clean. I don't care how you washed your pots or you know, if, how clean your prayer shawl is. or what. You're not clean if this is how you're thinking. So that's what he was trying to set straight. This is what Paul, St. Paul discusses in Romans 8 when he talks about living life in the flesh versus living life in the spirit. This is what John Paul II picks up as well. To live a life in the flesh is to live a life in the shadow of this threefold concupiscence, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's what got Adam and Eve into trouble. Right, exactly. We, we got to get out of that. We repeat that over and over and over again. Oh. So, but that's, that's what we're here. We're, we're piercing through. All of these 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 distortions and these untruths and these lies yes. of who we are as human persons and what Jesus came to redeem. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So in in Saint Paul's letter to the Romans, he says we are adopted adopted children of God by virtue of Christ's passion and death, which enables us to cooperate with the Spirit and allows us to enjoy the fruits of the Spirit. Think about that for a second. You're not a child of God because you deserve to be. We don't deserve anything but hell. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. But that's not what he wants for us. He wants us to spend eternity with him. So Christ took on a human nature and suffered and died in what has to be the most horrific way known to man. That no other human person could survive. No. Just, Just the scourging alone. The scourging and the crowning of thorns yeah. should have killed him. Absolutely. 
It should have killed him. But because he was so united to God and because he was God, he survived. His prayer was not, dear God, let me die before I get to the cross. His prayer was, dear God, let me live long enough to do this. Right, to accomplish this redemption. That to was his prayer. Adam's sin. Can to you imagine? The Adam and Eve sin. Yes, beautiful. Can you imagine? Oh. I, I can't. It, I just, my mind wants to implode. So we are adopted children of God by virtue of his passion and death. We have been redeemed. We are his children. That's who we are. Amen. Loved and lovable. Yes, we have our sins. Yes, we have our failings. Yes, some of us have screwed up really badly. Okay. Dust yourself off, stand up, and walk straight, knowing that you are a child of God. You, and nothing changes that. No. No. Ever. Nothing. No. Nothing changes that. My spiritual director who I believe is a holy woman, said this to me. I will never forget it. God's love for mankind is greater than his sin. Amen. And mm. trust me, after I read Wanda Poltowska's book, yeah. And I'm Afraid of My Dreams, I thought this cannot be. Mm. He cannot still love us after this. Oh, man. He can't. Oh. Wow. But then the answer came, yes, I can. And I do. Wow. And I do. I, I can personally, I cannot wrap my head around that level of love. Anyone who has, I mean, we've all studied World War II, Nazi Germany to some extent, but to read the accounts of the people who survived, you think, how, what happened? What happened to us as, as a human race? What happened? How could this be? And yet, in the midst of all of this, what did we get? St. Edith Stein, mm. Maximilian Kolbe, mm. John Paul II, Wanda Potofska, Wanda mm. Potofska and so who many, survived yeah. to tell the story, yes. who healed in her own way, in her own time. And gave it away. And, and gave, gave it, it away. away. And influenced John Paul II. Yes. But also, just think about her her mercy and love and service to other people who have suffered different kinds of trauma and abuse. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. This, this is what Christ came to remind us of. This is what John Paul II is trying to remind us of, who we are. We are children of God. We are adopted children of God by virtue of his passion and death. And there is nothing that you could do that is so bad that would cease his loving you. Amen. You know, it's hard for us in our with our just our purely reasoned minds. If we're going there, we're not taking into account our creation and our identity as beloved son and daughter of the Most High God and how much He loves us. But people who commit atrocities, such as those in World War II, um, medical personnel who mm-hmm. did these experiments on mm-hmm. Wanda Potowska, mm-hmm. at any moment when that person asked for forgiveness to be reconciled with God, yes. God in his mercy would forgive that person. Yes. And that person has the hope of heaven, even someone that evil. Yes. Right. Who's cooperated, I should say, with that yes. level of evil. But Wanda, who suffered under so much diabolical mm. evil. And it was. And because they were cooperating mm-hmm. with the diabolic, with the mm. Satan himself mm-hmm. and all of his minions. But she cooperated with love. Yes. And was able to give love 
away. And I think that's yes. her, that's the story. The, Do you know? And the one thing that came through, she remembered who she was. Amen. She did not want to lose sight of the fact that she was a human being and she was not, she was determined. She was not going to lose sight of that. Even in protecting a dear friend of hers who was a little more innocent, a little more naive about mm-hmm. some of the evil that was actually occurring around her. Mm. She was not going to descend to that level. She was a human being and she did not forget that. And she survived and she did not fall into this animalistic, bestial behavior that so many of them descended to because, because they were surrounded broken. by it. They yes. were surrounded by it. There was nothing else left. They were broken to the point that they forgot who they were. And the Nazis and those who were part of that whole machine, that agenda, that philosophy, that was their purpose to dehumanize yes. and depersonalize. Which is why people. they all got a number. Yes. They were that not was known by step their number numbers. one. Step number one, they all got a number. Yes. Oh yes. my goodness, so. Josie. So much, so much, and so much more. Because there's, <laughs> there's always more. more. There's it gets better. More. It, gets it gets better. better. <laughs> it gets better, y'all. When we finished last time, we were talking about Wanda Potalska and her book, And I Am Afraid of My Dreams, and her story in uh, Raven- Ravensbrook? Yes. Ravensbrook concentration camp, and, and her particular um, story in that she would not allow the diabolic evil that was going on in that camp to, in any way, reduce her personhood, that she right. would remember who she was. Right. She right. was always keeping in front of her, I am a human being. And she was hanging on to that for everything that she was worth. And so what does that have to do then with us today in the different challenges that we have going on? We have the same, the same wounds of that garden that pervade mm-hmm. our hearts in our own personal hearts and in our relationships to each other, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether you know we're at work, whether we're at school, mm-hmm. um, with our parents, uh, with our children, and our relationship with God. There's all of these distortions and uh, disruptions and wounds and um, and and brokenness in our relationship. So, mm-hmm. what is remembering who we are as human persons have to do with all of the beauty that you've shared with us over the past several several episodes? Well. You know, we were talking also about how uh, Jesus, through his passion and death, came to redeem not just mankind, but all of creation. Yes. And th- what, what John Paul II calls the ethos of redemption. So this is what we're working toward, working towards that relationship with our Lord, not just today, but at the end of time for all of eternity. That's what we're supposed to be working for. So now the question is, so how does this communion of persons, this communion person autumn that began with Adam and Eve, how does that change with the resurrection? How does Jesus' passion and death affect that? You know, and like you said, this communal personatum, this communion of persons, all of us have to engage in this communion in some way, shape, fashion, or form. Whether it's not just for people who are married. No, that's not. Because I think no. some people think theology of the body is just marriage prep, or it just relates to, you know, married folk. No. That is not, it is every human person. It's not marriage prep, it's human prep. And in fact, John Paul II was telling us it is all about what it means to be a human person. Yes, that's That's correct. That's correct. And so 
you you cannot love God without loving neighbor. Right. That has to be. Jesus himself taught us that. God taught us that when he gave Adam and Eve to each other. That's what he was teaching us. So if you're married, there you go. Family, husband, children. If you're not married, friendships. Everyone has co-workers at some point. Everyone has family, brothers, right. sisters, mothers, fathers. You must be in a communion of persons in some way, shape, fashion, or form if you want to be in communion with God. There's no getting around it. Everybody is in a communion of persons on some level. So when I try to be really kind and merciful to a person who is checking out my groceries at the grocery store, who's having a bad day, mm-hmm. and I try to be extra, extra kind, that's, that's really a form of the it communion is. of persons it because is. I'm trying to radiate the love of Christ, seeing, seeing Christ in that person and seeing that they're, they're struggling and trying to show love. That's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. So it is not just for married people. I think a lot of, a lot of people will look at John Paul II and theology of the body and love and responsibility. And say, oh, that's for married folk. Just like you said, no. And you want to dismiss it so that, you know, I, you don't have to, to look at it or either you just don't see the beauty of it or you just don't understand it. It is so far beyond that. No, it I is mean, about what you said. It is about the human person. Yeah. Married, single, religious, ordained, lay person. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yes. It applies to you. So we're talking about the ethos of redemption and what Jesus did for us. So how does how does this change our relationships? How does this change this communion of persons we're talking about? Well, in heaven, especially after the resurrection of the body, this personal relationship that I have with God will be in the context of the relationship I will have with my brothers and sisters in heaven. Mm. So now there is what John Paul II calls a perpetual intersubjectivity. He's known for those big words. Oh, huh? it's but fabulous. So, it is, but they're so deep. There's just no other way to express these, these ideas, because, these concepts, and, these you know, truths. He says it in two words, which would take me a paragraph. He just <laughs> says it in two words. Perpetual intersubjectivity. I will be in communion with God. And with all the saints in heaven, hence the communion of saints. Mm. So my relationship with my husband, my children, my friends, my coworkers, anyone I have a relationship of any kind with that's elevated and multiplied times infinity. And now I am with God in heaven forever and all of these beautiful people I have loved and all the people that I didn't get the chance to love because they came before me. Now I have the chance to love them in and through the love of God for all of eternity. That's what John Paul II was trying to wake us up to. And that's what Jesus came to do, to redeem us, body and soul, to redeem all of creation and to take us to heaven with him, not to leave us in our fallen state and say, well, you screwed this up. You got to figure this out because there was no figuring that out. No, there was no figuring this out. The most righteous people in the history of mankind could have been put into, together into one little ball, and they still couldn't have done this. This was a God thing. Only God could have fixed this mess because it was against God that the sin was committed. Right. So now the effect is perpetual. Yes. Now, mm. the effect of trying to make reparation for that has to be perpetual, but we're not perpetual. Right. So only God could fix this. So this is what... Jesus came to do. So now he's not only just calling us to elevate our communion with each other on this earth, though that's what we should be doing, elevating our communion with God, which is what we should be doing. He's calling us to keep in mind always heaven 
eternity, because this is what you are working in communion on this earth for. You're supposed to be bringing your husband, your children, your friends, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your co-workers. Yes, even the nasty neighbor down the street that you don't really get along with. (laughs) You know, maybe the crotchety old lady or old man who's just always in a bad mood. Yes, even them, especially them. Yes. Because Mm -hmm. they're more difficult, especially them, right? People in our own family. Yep. You know, we all know how this works. Our goal is to keep our eye on heaven. That's where we're all supposed to be going. So that's how this communion of persons changes. And this is why the witness of ordained priesthood and the professed religious is so beautiful. They're showing us now what life in heaven will be like for the rest of us when we are with God in heaven. Mm. So when I see a woman dressed in, a, in her habit, Carmelite, Dominican, Mercedarian, it doesn't really matter, whoever's an ordained priest, a deacon who's about to become an ordained priest, they're showing me now on this earth what I hope to experience in heaven later. Beautiful. So that, that's an added dimension. So, you know, we look at our priests as very special people and our nuns and our sisters and our religious as very special people. And they are because they've chosen a path that most of us haven't, that many of us couldn't, you know, we just can't. We think of that life. Oh, I just can't. Well, that's, you're not called to that. If you were called to that, you would be that. Exactly. But you're not. So relax. It's okay. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Not everybody can be professed religious and priest because then there would be no babies and, you know, humankind would end. So we need married people. We need, you know, um, we need people who are single as well, who can work toward relationships, can work in fields of ministry that we may not be able to do because of our families. So these professed religious and these ordained are giving us visible witness now of what we will experience in heaven. And that is so, so beautiful. And I think, personally, I think that's what our young people are starving for, to see this visible witness, because it seems like there are fewer and fewer of them. Yes. And we need to pray. You know, Jesus said, the harvest is plenty, but laborers are few. This is not a a new problem, but it's an ongoing one. But we really need to pray for more priests and, and vowed religious to give us that visible witness that we are literally, some of us, dying Four. Amen. Amen. And it doesn't really matter what age you are, because I've seen also lately, not to get too far off track, but later vocations. Happening. Yes. Do you yes. Know how beautiful is that? And it's beautiful. consecrated single uh, women yes. who maybe were married or are now widowed, their children are grown. Yes. They have consecrate themselves to mm-hmm. the Lord and, and to a particular charism. I mean, there's all there. We we have few laborers, but there's also the springtime coming too that I see. Oh, yes. So there's so much hope, you know. Yes, hope. As well. Hope springs eternal. Where God is, where God is involved, hope springs eternal. Yeah. So all of this gets back to the question: So who are you? Who are wow. we? You know, we have, we have a God who took on human nature to show us who we are, to show us what we could be, to show us that perfection is not something that only God is. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He said that to us. Now, if that were not possible, that would be a cruel joke. It's not. It is possible well, no, it's not. I really screwed up. I made some bad decisions in my life. Yeah, okay, maybe you did. That's the beauty of our Catholic faith. Go to confession. Get rid of that baggage. Amen. Get rid of that baggage. Do what God needs you to do to heal 
let him take it from you. Stop taking it back from him. I'm very good at that. <laughs> I'm very good at that. Lord, I'm going to give you my trials, my tribulations. I love you. Here, take it. Oh, but what am I going to do about this? Oh, and then I wring my hands. I'm like, oh, what if, what if, what if, what if? Maybe if I did this, maybe it would work. No, stop. I just gave it to him. Now I'm taking it back. Let him do. Exactly. Let him be who he is. Let him show you who you are supposed to be. Amen, sister. We're very good at getting in his way. I am very good at yeah. getting in his way. Yeah. I sh- Me I too. I shouldn't make generalizations, but I am very good at that. Me too. <laughs> so who are we? We are children of God created in his image and likeness. We are loved and lovable. Why? Because we have dignity and value and worth. Not because anyone says so, not because of what you can do, but because God gave it to you from the moment of your existence. And no matter what you do, God's love for you and for your human dignity remains. You may not feel that way. You may look at your life and think, oh, my goodness, have I made a mess of things. I don't feel dignified. I don't act dignified. But you still possess it because God gave it to you. There's nothing you can do that God will look at you and go, oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Wow, that was really bad. So I can't really love you anymore. Human beings do that. Definitely. God cannot. It is in his nature to love. That is his nature. He is love. He doesn't have it. He is. Mm. That's the difference between God and us, one of the many, right? We can be happy. God is happiness. He Mm. is joy, right? We just have it. He is it. So... Even if you don't feel especially dignified, even if you've committed mortal sins in your life, you really made mistakes, you really messed up, you will always remain a child of God who is precious to him. And the good news is your feelings have nothing to do with it. Awesome. Really? I I believe it. I believe it. I mean, and we can do a number on ourselves, can't we? Self-loathing, self-hatred, beating ourselves up all the time. You've even gone to confession and got rid of this. And it still comes to your mind. Well, that's not you. Who right, is that? Right. The accuser. That's the, the accuser liar. who's trying to make you feel miserable. Oh, God didn't really forgive you for that. He couldn't. He couldn't possibly. Mm-hmm. Man, that was bad. But you did. You went to confession and got rid of it. You unloaded your baggage. Well, stop taking the baggage back. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. God took it. Let it go. Let him take it. And how presumptuous of us. It's not intended to be presumptuous and no. prideful but presumptuous of us to not receive, to believe what he's told us, that it is removed, and that he remembers those sins no more. Yeah, it's what I call reverse spiritual pride. You've got the (laughs) spiritual pride of, thank you, Lord, for not making me like those people, you know, like the Pharisees. I I go to Mass every week. I pray my rosary every day. I am so much better than these people, these poor sinners. Reverse spiritual pride would be, Oh, no, God can't possibly forgive me for this. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a form of pride, too. Sure. And who are you to mm-hmm. say that God can't forgive you? He has told you he would. He's given you the sacrament of reconciliation. What's the yeah. problem? Yeah. It's, You've got visible proof. Yep. So, And that's a whole other, I mean, we could talk forever about that whole issue <sighs> as well. Oh, oh my please, goodness. yes. It's sad, too. It's yeah. very, very sad. Yes. I, people yes. are enslaved in that way. Oh. People, including, I mean, I've, I have struggled to forgive myself for things, too. Oh. I understand that. But that is not where Josie's raising her hand, too. Yes, me, too. But that me too. is not 
where and you know what studying the faith that that knowledge of the faith and and prayer um, and the practice of our faith and the making making ourselves um, making use of the sacraments availing ourselves of the sacraments all of that brings the healing yeah you know so that we can open ourselves more to the truth that he has will and always will when we come to him to be reconciled, he forgives and he receives mm. us back on his lap yes. to love us and here, place your, like place a, your head yes. right here in my heart, my daughter, yes. my son. Like I a love loving, you. like a loving father yes. who gathers his child into his lap at the end of the day. Tell me about your day, sweetheart. That's it's right. okay. Let daddy make it better. Amen. Absolutely. Oh. So oh. people's opinions about you don't make a difference to God's love for you. And we put so much emphasis on what people think of us. It really shouldn't, but we do. Your feelings don't matter when it comes to how much God loves you. People's opinions about you don't matter when it comes to how much God loves you. It's not society that matters, even though it is very good at putting labels on people and expecting us to blindly accept those labels like sheep. The only person's opinion that matters is God's, and he will never turn his back on you. As John Paul II told the people of Poland, and it's a message for all of us today, it was a land that it, it has been said that it was a land that lost World War II twice, once by the Nazis and again by communist Russia. John Paul II told them, you are not who they say you are. Amen. Oh, Josie, I love it. Thank you so much. This has been so awesome. I've had a wonderful time. I cannot wait till our next set. We're going to wait and ponder upon this and let the Holy Spirit inform us of where we go next together. But you are a treasure. You're a gift. Thank you. I love you. I know my listeners have fallen in love with you. Thank you so much for sharing you with us. It is my absolute pleasure. It is. It has been a joy. I've had a lot of fun. Amen. God bless you. And with that, we are done with our very first series here on the Faith and Good Counsel show with my lovely, lovely guest, Josie Duke. I'm so grateful to her for her gift of self that she brought to each one of us during this series here on the Faith and Good Counsel show. We have developed quite a sisterhood because our hearts and our minds are so deeply united in communio, if you will, uh, for love of our Lord and for love of you. And we've got some projects in the works. I can't wait to share more with you about that really soon. So I would love to know what you thought of this first series here on the Faith and Good Counsel show. I know both Josie and I had an immense amount of fun, both preparing for the series and for actually recording the series. And as I have listened to it many times now in post-production, I have grown in my own heart just from the beauty that is Josie Duke and that gift of self that she has brought to us. But I'm wondering what you thought. So maybe you have some questions. I would love to hear what those are. Please do. Please feel free. Any question I will address, you can email me confidentially at AskStacy, that little Ask Stacy button on my homepage of my website, StacyGalino.com, and I'll be happy to connect with you and get back with you on whatever it is that's on your heart. 
I truly want to hear your heart. Um, I want to hear what you're thinking. I want to hear what questions you have or what concerns you have or what is maybe confusing or what you thought was incredibly beautiful or something new that you learned that you didn't know and kind of where it's leading your heart and your thoughts. So I'm going to look very forward to seeing what questions or comments come over to me at the Ask Stacy button at the bottom of the StacyGalino.com homepage. In the meantime, I'll look forward to being here again with you right here at the Faith and Good Counsel podcast. I'm grateful for each and every one of you, and I'm grateful so much for the time that you spend with me here each and every time on the podcast. See you next time. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.